Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 63. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Most of you are probably not listening to this on the day of its release. You're probably catching up with it later in the week because on this day, November the 12th, 2019, it's the launch day of Disney+. Plus. Most of you are probably holed up somewhere with the shades drawn and you have just told the, the entirety of your family and friends to just leave me alone in the nicest way possible. Disney and chill. That's right. We are not uh, partaking in the launch day because, as it turns out, we're still in Disney. <laughs> we totally would be, though. Oh, yeah. If this release didn't coincide with our trip, we would be hauled up. And I, I don't know that we would be speaking to anyone for about about a week. I probably would have like ordered pizza a day before and just had it in the refrigerator and made every excuse to not get off the couch. Yeah, listeners, you'd be lucky if you even got a show that week, really. Like, I'm talking like fire extinguisher within arm's reach because I don't want to get off this chair right now. (laughs) What are you most looking forward to? Um, I'm... The back catalog's the easy answer. I'm actually looking forward to um, this Imagineering show that Dwayne Johnson is going to be a part of. I I love stuff like that. Like when they do the um around the holidays, Halloween and Christmas when they talk about decorating the parks. Yeah, and you see like the the turnover in the overnight. Yeah. So like I find that stuff very interesting. And I love the historical aspect of a lot of what happens or has happened in the company's history. So I'm intrigued to learn new things about the attractions that we love so much. What about you? Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, still the, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, yeah, that's go- to say it's going to be interesting is an understatement, but I am very much looking forward to it. Yeah, and um, also I I think just because of the time of year, I'm looking forward to Noel. Yeah, like Halloween's done. I'm ready for the holiday season, especially we're doing very merry while we're in the park. Actually, by the time it? you <laughs> yeah, listeners, by the time you're listening to this, we are doing very merry today tonight. I've said it on the show before. I'm really in- and of course we're we're talking and you know thinking about the future here. I'm interested to see what happens in the park today, launch day. I actually feel like if you're not sitting at home watching, the place to be on launch day is at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World or Studios. I hope they do something for it. I hope there's like a a bell or something. Yeah, but I, I mean by now we know. But at the time of this recording, we have, to, we have to wait to find out. But I'm very excited, regardless. I think one of the things that I'm very excited about, and I've become more and more excited about it the more that we've seen of it, is the Lady and the Tramp live-action remake. Because based on trailers, and again, we, we obviously have not watched it yet, but based on trailers, it doesn't have that phony 90s talking animal live-action animation that I feared it would. Yeah, this is more, it looks in vain of what Favreau did with Jungle Book and Lion King. Even though he did not produce or direct this one, I think they kind of followed suit with what he's been doing to make the animals feel real. Yeah, again, without having seen anything, 
I'm sort of impressed with the amount of money they put into the production of what is a really, for, for all intents and purposes, a straight-to-home video release. But coinciding with the launch of this streaming service, I think to them it's as important as a theatrical run. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. When you see now how Netflix is being taken into consideration and how much is being produced for that, for Hulu, for Amazon Prime, it doesn't, it's not really straight to video in, anymore. Like, I, I get what you're saying. Like, for all intents and purposes, yes, without the theatrical release, it is straight to home. But, I mean, th this is this is the future. This is what it's going to be. And streaming is going to become so popular that you're going to get these big budget productions. What I love most about what they're doing with Lady and the Tramp is that they cast the leads with uh, dogs from shelters. So I think that's an amazing thing that they're doing. And I hope that Hollywood starts to follow suit when they're looking to work with animals. Yeah. But be before we get too much into the live action remake of Lady and the Tramp, naturally, we have to start with the original animated classic. Was this a staple in your house? Uh, not my house, but this was a big one when I would go to my grandparents. I remember watching it there a lot, but it wasn't something that I watched that frequently. Okay. See, we wore the VHS out. Wow. This was one of our favorite Disney movies. This was one of our favorite VHSs. Before I get too much into why it was one of our favorites... I think perhaps we go over the plot here. So the film opens in a charming Victorian town where Jim Deere and Darling are celebrating Christmas. Jim Deere gives Darling what appears to be a hat, but the box starts moving and out pops a puppy who they name Lady. As Lady grows up, they spoil her as any good dog owner should until the couple learns that they are pregnant and their attention becomes divided. Lady tells her neighbors Jacques and Trusty that she has been feeling neglected, which is overheard by Tramp, a stray dog from the other side of the tracks who has found his way into their neighborhood while escaping the dog catcher. Tramp tells Lady as bad as it seems now, it will only get worse once the baby arrives and becomes the priority. At first, it seems Tramp is right, but given a little time to adjust, Jim Deere and Darling care for their new baby and still give Lady plenty of attention. Until they have to go away. Bum, bum, bum. We're not sure if it's business or pleasure, but either way, Aunt Sarah arrives to babysit with absolutely no regard for the house she's staying in. She brought her two cats <laughs> to a home with a dog, fish, and bird, and doesn't want Lady, who has become the baby's protector, anywhere near him. When the cats try to go up to the baby's room, Lady growls at them and chases them away, so Aunt Sarah has her fit for a muzzle, which she doesn't want to wear. Lady escapes from Aunt Sarah with the muzzle on, but luckily runs into Tramp, who takes her to the zoo and has other animals help to free her. Tramp takes Lady around town and explains how he enjoys his lifestyle not being tied to one family. He shows her how he gets food from different places and takes her to Tony's for some Italian. Chef cooks up some spaghetti and meatballs, and he and Tony serenade Lady and Tramp while they eat. After dinner, they go for a walk in the park and fall asleep overlooking the city. The next morning, Tramp tries to convince Lady to leave the leash and collar set, but she wants to go home and look after the baby. While escorting her back, Tramp manages to escape the dog catcher, but Lady does not and is taken to the pound. She meets some of Tramp's friends from the street and learns that he not only doesn't want to tie himself to one family, but he also doesn't want to tie himself to one lady either. The dog catcher has tracked down Lady's family and returns her home. 
even though Aunt Sarah lost her, she still forces Lady to sleep outside chained to her doghouse. Seeing her predicament, Jock and Trusty offer to have her come and live with one of them. As they are about to propose, Tramp shows up to check on Lady, who turns him away. Lady then sees a rat trying to get into the house through the baby's room. She barks to alert Aunt Sarah, who ignores her, but Tramp hears and returns to help. He chases the rat away until Aunt Sarah catches him, locks him in a closet, and calls the pound. The dog catcher takes him away just as Jim Deere and Darling return home. Lady leads them to find the rat, and they realize Tramp was trying to help the whole time, so Jacques and Trusty go to chase down the puppy wagon. When they try to spook the horse, the carriage gets overturned and lands on Trusty. Trusty luckily only has a broken paw, but is well enough to go and celebrate Christmas with Lady, Tramp, and their litter of puppies. I love from the jump that this movie is uh, dedicated to all dogs. Same. Yeah, this was a rare one in the early catalog that was an original story. There's no blue book. There's no adaptation. Um, and it actually, it also begins with a quote. Um, Josh Billings says that in, a whole, in the whole history of the world, there is but one thing money cannot buy, to wit the wag of a dog's tail. And that resonates so much with me. Like there are so many times and I am fortunate with what I do where I get to work from home and I get to spend a lot of time with the pup. But I have actually said before, it's the only currency that I care about. Like that is the best affirmation that I did my job is to know that my dog is happy. And that's nice to hear because, and she's going to deny this, the beginning of the movie, first off, can we talk about Puppy Lady? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's so stinking cute. She is. She's so sweet. She's so cute. And she's so happy until Jim Deere is mean and refuses to let her sleep in the bed with them. Oh, I'm getting out. Does this sound familiar to you? I actually wrote down you know there's that meme where it's like so accurate I feel attacked yep that's kind of how I feel in this opening scene um you know I I never grew up with dogs Walt is my first dog and I wanted him to sleep in his bed which is in the bedroom it's not like we put him in a separate room because my thing has always been if god forbid something happens at night i want to be able to get him out of the house i don't want him where we can't get him um but there's just not a lot of room so i didn't want him in the bed but as, as soon as we stopped crating him there there was no choice and i i knew that but how do you explain to a dog no it, 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 he's gonna feel unloved and unwanted and i could never just like jim deer made lady feel I understand the point that he was trying to make in I'm going to be the dominant one, but uh, you know what it is? Until you have crate trained a dog and you've listened to them cry from the other side of the house, you don't realize how heart-wrenching that scene really is. No, and it's not just the other side of the house. She is downstairs in the kitchen, and they made her comfy. They gave her a dog bed. She's by... The stove, so it's where, and we're talking about stove. This is Victorian era, so it's not like you know they left the stove on and they're cranking gas into the room. This is now you the know it's like a running. it's <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's like a coal burning stove. Right. So she's warm, she's comfortable, but that's exactly my point and that's what I realized very quickly is that this it's not a child. You can't explain why they're not in the same room and all the dog knows is that it feels unwanted, unloved and it cries and it broke my heart and I was like, "All right, well, this is your bed now here." Right, exactly. Now And to said, this day I get kicked out of this bed almost every night. So do I. So do I. And it's it's fine. I've always said I'm I'm happy to have that in my life every single night. But with that being said, you're right. This is Victorian era, so the role of the dog in the household was a little bit different. So I'm not going to say that the movie feels dated in that respect because for all intents and purposes, the movie sort of is a period piece. True. Even even for the time it was released. It, this was 53? Uh this was 54. Five. Okay. This was 55. Yes, it was when Disneyland opened. It was the same year. Right. So even then, the movie, again, it didn't feel dated, but it, it wasn't taking place in, in present time. Right. But the way that they pull this off is so clever because finally Lady wears Jim Deere down and she keeps escaping the kitchen, making her way up to the bed. And Darling is like oh, come on, just let her up. And he goes, okay, but just this once. And they time jump to show Lady at six months and she is still in the same place on the bed. And that's where I was like, this is so accurate. Yeah, as soon as he was like, just for one night, I was like, and there's your first mistake. I want to <laughs> talk- you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk for a second about Jim Deere too. He is no Disney prince, but he may be the perfect man. Because he brought her a puppy for Christmas. I mean, come on. In a hat box. In a hat box. With a ribbon. No, it's brilliant. It's great. And that was based on real life events. Walt Disney, when he bought Lillian their first dog, he gave it to her on Christmas in a hat box. Right. And Lillian was staunch on not having a dog. Like, not only had she not had one I mean like in my case it was just because of lack of experience it wasn't that I never wanted one she kind of associated and you know you said before that the role of a dog was a little bit different they were looked at as like mangy and dirty and they carried fleas and that kind of thing and yeah when you don't have one you don't really understand and then I think um she had seen a chow or or no, no 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 Walt researched it and he found a dog that didn't shed because that was her concern was having hair all over the place. And he found the chow. So she agreed and then ended up. I mean, that that's it. Once you turn, you can never go back. And that's the thing. Like like with anything that Walt Disney ever did, as soon as the answer wasn't no, it was yes. And he did. He it the figured next it day. out. Yeah. <laughs> he figured out a way to get what he wanted. But I love the fact that that made it into this movie. Because like you said, it's not an ad- uh, an adaptation of a book or a fairy tale. So really, this was, this was Disney's own. So to bring that true life event into it, it must have been so personal to him. All, it, it had to be almost like a little victory. There's a lot of personal things from Walt that are peppered throughout this movie. Starting with the opening, to me, it looked kind of like a Thomas Kincaid painting where the lights are glowing and especially Mm -hmm. because it's Christmas and everything's lit up. Um, But that is supposed to be Marceline, Missouri, which we, you know, strongly associate with the parks because that's what Main Street USA is supposed to look like. But it was so nice to get 
a little peek into that residential area of how he grew up. Yeah, because I feel like up to this point, a lot of these films had taken place in a castle or in the country. Cottage in the woods. Yeah, so to see something that's a little bit more Americana was something that it was it was nice to see because you could sort of familiarize yourself with it. Right, and I think that like for our generation too, you know, you said the castles, but we also grew up under the sea and in Agrabah. We didn't really get to see that residential life until like Toy Story. If you were old enough, well, I can't even say if you're old enough to remember uh, seeing um, uh, Oliver and Company for the first time because that takes place in Manhattan. Basil of Baker, well, I call it Basil of Baker Street because that was the original title, but the Great Mouse Detectives probably, again, it's London, but that's probably the closest thing in terms of animated classics that came out around the time that uh, that we were children because even going back to the Black Cauldron, it's a cottage in the woods. Right. And then you go to a castle. So, yeah, rescue. Yeah, I mean, I, there really wasn't anything like it. Yeah. So, yeah, because Belle, they're in the French countryside and then go to a castle. Right, right. So this was sort of unique for its time, and in a way, it's still kind of unique now. Um, I love how Jacques and Trusty are recognized as, I put them, quote-unquote, my kids' friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's an open-door policy. They talk about them like they're people. Lady can just come and go as she pleases. They know where she's going to be. They're fine with who she's spending her time with. Yeah, and they all just kind of go from house to house to house. That, honestly, that's definitely a product of its time. Like, I I would never let Walt off leash. Well, there was also Unless no, it's a dog park. There but, were no automobiles. No, there were a couple. But not, I mean, it's early. It's yeah. really early. More horse and buggy. Yeah, but still, I mean, it's still it's still dangerous. But, you know, they kind of just, it was a different time. They were looked at differently, and you kind of just let them roam a little bit. Yeah, Jacques, the Scottish dog with a French name. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was sort of an interesting choice. But I love the personality on him. He's great. And Trusty, too, with his old, you know, his, his grandpa stories. Yeah, and Jacques is more of like that big brother looking out for his little sister, mm -hmm. and Trusty is more paternal than anything else. He's an old-timer. Yeah, but I think that they make for great sidekicks in the movie. I think that the three of them work well together. I buy the relationship of the three of them together, and right before they announce that, or right before we find out that Darling is pregnant foreshadow much Jim Deere is sitting there with her saying you know I think that our life has become so much fuller with Lady I don't think our life could be any better than it is right you now can't picture it any other way and I found it to be an interesting choice that without directly coming out and saying it right away Lady talks about how Jim Deere and Darling were acting very different and the first time you see Darling before we actually know it's a pregnancy, she's kind of humming to herself, and she puts a potted flower in the window. And I thought, yes, this is symbolism 
at its best. Yeah, because you never see the bump. Right. Ever. Even as it gets closer and closer to the due date, you mm-hmm. don't really see her anymore. Right. And um, I did... I, I found it interesting when they shot the scene in the baby shower and uh, all of the women are doting over Darling and the guys are on the other side of the house just busting... Uh, uh, Jim Deere. Jim Deere's chops about what I don't know. I, I could. I, I, that was the only scene I, I laughed at it because I thought it was funny, but I couldn't really understand what was like the, the tongue in cheek and the elbow to the ribs going on there. Yeah, it wasn't even like, gee, man, hope the baby doesn't come out like you. Yeah, it was it was just, you know. It was like the equivalent of Mary Poppins when they're all sitting around with their mustaches counting their money. Yeah, and poor lady, she's walking around, and you could just tell she's over it. She's got the look on her face that she's just over this entire thing. Yeah. And I don't know that there is as hurtful a line in this movie as when he calls her that dog. Oh, yeah. That that really stings. Yeah. I mean, not only because not only like as a dog owner and that you would never want to treat your dog like that because they've done such a good job at this point of putting us in ladies shoes and going along for the ride with her. Right. And then, of course, we meet Tramp and he is just the polar opposite of everyone else. I love how he calls them the leash and collar set. Yeah. He's just, he's like Joe Cool. Like when Snoopy would put his sunglasses on and he became <laughs> Joe Cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of another big metaphor, um, the leash and collar set is great, especially because prior to this, they had just gotten Lady, in the, in the scene prior, they had just gotten her collar and license and she's so proud. And Jacques and Trusty are talking about how there's no higher honor that a human can bestow upon a dog. And they love that sense of belonging. And, you know, Tramp is using the collar as a metaphor for, like, handcuffs that you're really, you know, like, literally chained up. It's it's the same way that a lot of, again, you want to talk about guys busting each other's chops at a baby shower, talking about the old ball and chain. Exactly. That's what the leash and collar set is the equivalent of. Right. And for him, it's a metaphor of not only being tied down to a family, but I think it's also, you know, it plants those seeds that he doesn't want to be tied down to anything. Yeah. And Lady eventually obviously breaks him. But I love his mentality. I love his swagger. I love his mantra. This kind of like swinging bachelor doesn't have a care in the world, just wants to have fun. He was like Uncle Buck before Uncle Buck was around. And (laughs) slightly as irresponsible, I should say. No, and there's there's points where, you know, as a dog owner, I'm like, oh my God, but he doesn't have a warm bed to sleep in. He doesn't have guaranteed food every day and it freaks me out. But I mean, Tramp obviously gets off on that lifestyle, but it's like you never really have to worry about him because he's got it all figured out. You can see where later on in Oliver and Company, where Dodger totally is draws a direct relation from Tramp. Totally. And that's where Billy Joel voicing him and being that uh, New York street savvy 
worked so well in that movie. But I don't think that character exists 30 years later without seeing Tramp on film in 1955. Totally drawn from him, but without being a ripoff. Yeah. And I love how he's totally juxtaposed against um, Jacques, Trusty, and Lady, and how he is so unique in that you've seen some of the other stray dogs that have been picked up by the dog catcher or you know, just living in the street and they're mangy and they're dirty and they're aggressive. And then there's him. He's just, he's so unique. He's so different from every other character in this movie. I think it's just, it's also, you know, not just stray versus a housebroken pet. It's also, you know, the metaphor is that lady comes from money and he doesn't because there's a lot of uh there's one point too where i think in the pound they refer to her as a debutante right and they say what did you get locked up for putting fleas on the butler exactly and i kind of wish that they had explored that a little bit more um rather than just i mean i know lady found out about his past in the pound and he's also the reason that she got captured. But I kind of wish that that played a little bit more into their relationship. It could have created a little bit more conflict about, you know, she comes from a very wealthy family and he has nothing. And they do, they do touch on it a little bit because the bigger conflict is pet versus stray, obviously. Right. And when he meets her for the first time and he has that whole conversation about when the baby comes in, the dog moves out, you can tell that he's got almost um, like an arrogance to him because he knows what's coming. He's not doing it to scare her, but he's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to warn them as to what's going on, and he's got the, well, all right... See, see yourself. See for it yourself. See, and I wonder if that goes beyond him just having street, street smarts. I'm wondering if that's what happened to him, and that's how he ended up on the street. Right, because we never really know what happened to him, but he seems to know a lot about being thrown out of the house in particular because of a child. Especially because he's doing all the impressions of, um, stop barking, you'll wake the baby. Yeah. So I kind of get the feeling that that's kind of maybe he was put out in the doghouse, the literal doghouse, and then maybe escaped from that. Yeah, it could be. We never find out, but I think that's what's implied. And as weird as it sounds, I mean, given the time period that the movie came out, in addition to the fact that the movie does move at a fairly good pace, I don't really need to know his backstory Exactly. I'm sure they're going to flesh it out a little bit more in this live action remake because now we live in 20 uh, at the time of this recording in 2019, where if you don't have backstory on everything, you get crucified for it. And we've done that on this show in the past when it's necessary. In this case, I don't really think it's necessary to get much more on him. No, it's like we just talked about Maleficent a couple of weeks ago in the animated Sleeping Beauty. I don't care why she's pissed off and evil. Right. She's just so good. It's like, I don't really need to know. Yeah. So he leaves. He leaves Lady Shaken. Jacques and Trusty sort of calm her down. And there's a reconciliation between Jim Deere, Darling, and Lady. Where 
she goes into the nursery and she gets to see the baby in the crib and she starts to smile and her tail is wagging. And they talk about how when they go out of town, she's going to help Aunt Sarah look over the baby because they trust Lady. And that's what makes what happens next so hard to watch. Oh, are we ready for Aunt Sarah? Because I have some thoughts. I have never been ready for Aunt Sarah. (laughs) But she's an integral part of the movie. So whether I want her there or not, she's there. Let me just start with this. From the time I watched this movie as a child, and I'm talking like I saw this movie for the first time when I think I was like four years old. Nearly 30 years later, it never sat well with me how many life-altering decisions she had the ability to make. Yes. As a kid, I think that you can appreciate and wrap your mind around she doesn't live here and she's changing everything. But I sat there and watched this now and I cringed. I mean, granted, it's a film and I didn't need to hear Jim Deere and Darling go over, okay, well, this is where the list of emergency numbers is. And this is what time Lady gets fed. And this is what the baby needs. I don't need that much order. But... First of all, they're ready to walk out the door when she shows up. Like, were you even going to wait until she got there before you left the baby? Um, But all of that aside, it's just that she shows up and she's like, this is my house. I live here now and we're going to do things my way. And I was like, how dare you? And not in like a Mary Poppins endearing sort of way either. Yeah, you're trying to whip a house into shape that does not need to be whipped. Yeah. All you have to do is make sure that the dog is fed and the baby's fed and the house doesn't burn down. That's it's basically your responsibility. Right. And it's what the baby's got to be like maybe six months old. It's not like it's a two year old that, you know, has its legs and some motor skills that you have to be constantly watching. Right. It's not going to run into the wall. Right. It's not going to run out the front door. It's still sleeping through most of the day. Right. There are people screaming at their radios right now, screaming at their iPhone. You don't understand what it's like to have a child. It's like, okay. No, we don't. We don't. Fair. We don't. Fair. But we're saying that I think Aunt Sarah would have her hands, you know, tied up a little bit more in the terrible twos than she does in this situation. Exactly. That's the point. Also, Aunt Sarah is also a little bit older. So if you're talking about. You know, obviously, grandparents help care for their grandchildren, but you're not going to leave someone for a long weekend where it's going to be that much work. Yeah. why? We don't even know how long they're gone. We don't know why they're going. We don't know where they're going. We don't know what it's for. And again, I don't really care. I do, though, because you're leaving a newborn. So I have to assume... Well, you can't assume that God, that that Jim Deere got called away for business because then why is his wife going with him? Why is she not staying to care for the baby? You going to see his parents? Like, I do need a little context here because you're leaving a, arguably a six-month-old. What we believe is a six-month-old. With a woman who has absolutely no consideration for your home, for your lifestyle, for your pets. First of all, How you were even allowed to bring cats into this situation is completely beyond me. 
I never liked those cats. I still don't like those cats. I think that they are the perfect antagonists for the film. But to be honest with you, I think these are kind of just cats in general. And again, there are people throwing their iPhones out the window, mad at me because I said something awful about a cat. And I'm sorry. I had a cat as a kid. I had I had two cats as a kid. I had two dogs. I'm sorry. I'm leaning towards the side of the fence that's dog. Yeah, we're we're dog people. I'm it's, going on record and saying it's it. Not we're dog I, people. It's not that I have anything against a cat so much as it is that I just love my dog so much. To me, I've literally watched a cat climb up on a table, knock something over, stare at me, and walk away. And basically say, now clean it up. <laughs> yeah, I, the cats are what I remember most as a kid. I mean, obviously, because there's the song, it's a whole number. So I think that's the memorable part, especially because that takes away when you're a kid from realizing what a life ruiner Aunt Sarah is. Yeah. And and we'll go on record right now as saying that while they are great antagonists, that song and the persona that they gave them certainly does not hold up nowadays. No. Absolutely <laughs> not. So I'm interested to see how they tackle it in the remake. Because th this still has to be the setup, I would imagine, and they're probably still Siamese cats. But I'm wondering if they if they cut the song out, like maybe they maybe they play an instrumental version of the song underneath them, but without them singing it. Because I think that they are too important, and they've become too iconic to erase them. But I think this is one of these situations where a reboot, where you can sort of clean up something that no longer is acceptable this is a good place to start i actually hope they go the route of like a grumpy cat because then it gives it more of that persona it's already got the downturned face so if they go with like a persian cat this time mm. um i think that could be really effective even if it's one i mean the the two works well here because there's so much mischief that they're causing you know they're ones first of all where did jim deer and darling get you know you're pregnant you've already got a dog now you've also got a fish and a bird but i also think that was something that was a little bit more of the era because they weren't necessarily looked at as pets it was more like decor yeah it's just the thing in the house <laughs> but you still have to take care of them and that's what i'm saying when they set this up with aunt sarah why did you think it was a good idea to bring these two racist cats <laughs> very true and and uh i mean but they are diabolical and they're out there to get lady and they get her you know what i'm saying so they accomplish their goal and they do set up they are a necessity in that they do set up what happens for the rest of the movie. Right. And what I do love about this movie, and this is like the first instant where we see, instance where we see it, the conflict comes from wrong place at the wrong time. Yep. It's here when she gets caught growling at them because she's trying to protect the baby. It's uh, later on when she gets nabbed by the pound. And then at the end with the rat where Tramp gets busted. Right. And of course they fake an injury to get her in trouble. The cats, this, the, that is... Yeah. And uh, and it works, obviously. 
Yeah, and again, that's where the two cats were. I think you could have one like really evil grumpy cat in the remake, but here for the animation, it definitely does work well with two. Yeah. I think that as far as animation goes, I think they looked cool. I liked how they moved together and they mimicked each other. Absolutely. And they were very, you know, kind of sleek with their movements. And you could just in their body language, you could not trust them. Right. And they were also in sync for most of it. They were almost snake-like, actually, in many ways. So I think they looked great. Um, Moving on to the scene where we go to the pet store... And she gets a muzzle. I just it, a number to begin with. It's heartbreaking to see Lady in a muzzle. But again, Aunt Sarah, why are you so mean to Lady? I understand you're you're under the impression that she has somehow hurt your cats, but to go stick a muzzle on her without consulting Jim Deere and Darling. Now again, I know you're not going to pull out your iPhone and give them a call, but they have a telephone in the house. It's implied that you're going to speak to them eventually right unless they're like on safari we don't know where they are could be a tie into the jungle cruise oh Oh, hey um no but that's another thing if you're bringing the cats into the home that's a big home you could have them in one room shut the door maybe because it's not your home and you respect the space keep them in their crates for a little while right or stick them in one of the guest rooms. Yeah, or, like, get Lady outside first. Yeah, it's not like Aunt Sarah didn't know what she was walking into. But it. But even before that much started, Lady jumps up on the bed, which she's allowed to be on, and mm-hmm. is looking at the baby. Yes. And it's, get off the bed, you filthy mongrel. Well, we kind of said it before. There are cat people and there are dog people, and clearly Aunt Sarah is a cat person. Most definitely. Also a life ruiner. But anyway, yeah, no. The muzzle... I realize that was a game time decision for you, but you can't make that decision without consulting them. Yeah. And when she escapes out of the pets, uh, pet shop, she is later returned by the, by the dog catcher, but you don't even see like aunt Sarah, like try and chase her out of the store to to like retrieve her. It was kind of like, well, that problem solved itself. Yeah. It's like, great. Now I don't have to deal with her. I don't have to take care of the dog, but like, okay, so let's let's live in the world for a second where Lady doesn't come home. Jim Deere and Darling get back. Hi, guys. Kept the baby alive, but oh, I lost your dog. Sorry. Okay, I'm going home. Bye. Yeah. I'm taking my cats and I'm going home. Like, what, what are you thinking? What are you going to do? What possible explanation do you have for this other than I don't like Lady and I got my way? And do you know what is so disturbing about this whole Aunt Sarah thing is that when I hear her speak, all yeah, I, I can know. hear her say is bibbity bobbity boo. That's what makes this so difficult because Verna Felton was in basically everything. Yeah. She did a lot with Disney. We've talked about her being in Cinderella and she was in Dumbo and she was in the Jungle Book. But being familiar with Cinderella and, and hearing her. It's the same actress. She doesn't try to hide her voice. It's so jarring. And it's so upsetting. It's more upsetting than it should be for me. Especially I, I just, when have... she hurries them out the door in the beginning because she's like, hurry up. You can't be late. And I'm like, I want her to say, off you go. You're on your way. It's so close. So it's you. You are running your hands through your hair right now. I'm cringing in my seat. And this has bothered me 
from the first day that I sat and watched this movie is, but it's, but that's not you. No, but you know what? I almost don't even care because I think I found my least favorite Disney character. I think I hate Aunt Sarah the most. So I will separate her from, from the fairy godmother in my mind. Very well. Moving on to the scene where they finally get the muzzle off. They go to the zoo. This is Tramp and Lady. I think that that distraction that happens at the zoo, let me set this up for you. They're trying to go in because they want to have one of the animals bite the muzzle off of Lady. But dogs are not allowed at the zoo. So Tramp, being Tramp, he's very cunning. He's very smart comes up with this scam where he goes up behind a police officer that's guarding the gate as one gentleman walks out and he starts barking. He pretends that the gentleman who walked out is his owner and it leads to a fight, which he pretty much eggs on. And while the two gentlemen are fighting each other, he and Lady slip into the zoo. What a fantastic distraction. I love that we get a little glimpse into how Tramp has actually survived on the streets. Yeah. Because he talks about it and he's like, oh, I get food from this one. I get food from that one later on when he's showing Lady around. But I love that we actually get to see it play out. Yeah. And how smart he really is. Yeah. And the scene with the badger or with the beaver, I should say. I love Tramp as a salesman. That could have been a short. This whole little sequence. And I would be fine with it. I wish I saw more of it. Yeah. It reminds me of something that you see on like the Home Shopping Network or one of these infomercials in the middle of the night. Hello, friend. Do I have the product for you? <laughs> I have the combination mop and toaster oven. <laughs> Clean your house and eat breakfast at the same time. Let me show you how it works. No. And then he even hooks Lady into the pitch because she's like, oh, it's a free sample. And I'll throw in the Mark McGuire rookie cards. That's, that's what it reminded me of. And I've always loved it. And when she got in on the gag and he got that big grin on his face, oh, it was perfect. You know what it also predates is we had talked about this when we reviewed Aladdin is how much I love when they first meet because she just has to learn to trust him right away. And then she one ups him as far as duping the uh, the guy who's about to cut her hand off. Yes. Um. Hello, doctor. Yes, exactly. That, I, I feel like it, it mirrors this scene perfectly because he, he finally gets Lady to think like him. Yeah, no doubt about it. So he goes through town. He explains, I'm at the O'Malley's on Tuesday. I'm Fritz on Mondays, and I have my schnitzel, and I have my this. They get to Tony's. And I have to say... Is the Tony's scene the most iconic scene in the history of animation? Toss up between this it's and Beauty and the Beast with the chandelier. It's up there. It's in like every montage ever that and, you and can not think just of. Disney. Not just animation. Cinema. Yeah, you're when you're talking about the iconic which is crazy because this film, you know, and we'll, we'll circle back to this later. This film was not very well received and it's it's gone on to become so iconic. Despite the fact that you have someone who talks like this through the entire thing. I'm going to break your face. <laughs> Listen, I'm I am 100 percent Italian. This does not offend me in any way, shape or form. I think it's endearing and I think it's hysterical. 
the entire scene. First off, the animation in the movie in totality is beautiful. But in this scene specifically, the back alley with the barrel and they come out with the Chianti the, bottle. The candle, the candle, yeah. And, the, and here comes the big plate of pasta. And Bellinati, the song, without any shadow of a doubt, is a top 10. Top 10 Disney song of all time. It might even be in the top five. It's close. If it's not number five, it's probably number six. It's not my personal, but it's undeniable what this is to the Disney canon. And what's amazing about that is how short it really yes. is. Yes. There's hardly, there's like what, maybe four lines? It's like it's one, like a verse and a chorus. And then they just repeat it. They're in, they're out. But it's beautifully written. The orchestral arrangement is phenomenal. The animation is fantastic. When Lady looks up into the stars and her eyes start to glimmer and you can see that she's falling for Tramp. And of course, the scene with the noodle. Like It's just everything about this scene. This is what makes this movie. There's no... The movie... We've talked about all the great things they've done so far. This movie does not exist without this scene. Well, it almost did. I know. Thank you, Frank Thomas. Yeah, because I think it was Walt himself wanted this cut. Yeah, and and Frank kind of sketched it out and storyboarded it to show, you know, what a turning point it is in the movie. And then he was like, okay, I get it. Going back to episode number one of Monorail Radio, for those of you who are catching up, we reviewed The Little Mermaid, and part of your world was going to end up on the cutting room floor. Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted it gone. Howard Ashman fought to keep it in the film. So again, the, the parallels between what was in the past and what came in the future, we said, could you imagine The Little Mermaid without part of your world? I can't imagine this film without the Bella Naughty Tony scene. It's also something that gives me such a great respect for the company is when you think about what potentially could have been cut. Um, even after Walt, the company has still upheld that belief in having a collaborative atmosphere. And it's so important when you think that you could have lost something like this. You could have lost something like part of your world. But because somebody was able to fight for it with conviction and prove how important it is to move a story forward, you know, and make everyone else realize how important it is to keep it. It just, it speaks volumes for the company and, and what it's like to work there. Yeah. Moving on, they wake up the next morning and they're still together. And again, that's sort of, um, there's a lot of adult undertones to that. How many movies have you seen where, Somebody stayed out all night with somebody that they shouldn't have been out all night with and had to sneak back into the house. Oh, but it doesn't matter because it's Aunt, it's Aunt Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> Aunt Sarah doesn't care that she stayed out all night. She hopes she stays a couple of nights. Yeah, at the very least. But that sets up the scene with them chasing the chickens and Lady gets caught by the dog catcher. Um, Something that I didn't really remember from this movie is that when they go to chase the chickens, they get shot at. Oh, yeah. You didn't remember that. Not at all. But I think um, it's definitely a good piece of the story because now after she's fallen for Tramp, it shows how much trouble he can actually get her in. 
right. because it's not just like a dog from the other side of the tracks and she's falling for the bad boy. You see that it, why the bad boy is actually dangerous in this case. Exactly. But the sad dog scene when they get into the pound. Kill me. It's heart wrenching. Dogs crying, literally, not just howling, but crying with tears in their eyes. And of course, they it's are like set. a Sarah McLaughlin commercial. Yeah. All you were missing was the snow and the chain. Oh. And that's exactly what it was. But at the end of that scene, well, at the end of the first song that they sing with the oh, howling, dear God. it's all a ruse because they're just trying to make noise so they can dig themselves out. Oh, not where I thought where you were going with this. But yes, it's true. And there, it's funny because the way that they light everything, it casts the shadow of the bars against the dog so they look like jailbirds in the black and white. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when the when the dachshund ca- comes up from the ground, he's been tunneling out. The dirt, I don't know if you catch it, goes over his eyes like a mask. So he looks like he looks like the that Hamburglar mask. Yeah, like a bandit. Exactly. Um, I thought you were going to say, because after that first song, they take the dog out the one-way exit, and that that's it. Like, I'm done at this point. I just want to fast forward. You are as evil as Aunt Sarah. I can't really deal with this movie anymore at this point. Yeah, what, what was his name? Nutty? What was the dog's name? Something like that, but I was hoping that that was the adoption door. Well, maybe we'll live in the world where it was. Sure. Because he had a big grin on his face. I mean, you see that you don't actually see him. You see the shadow. You see the shadow. You see the tail wagging. And I think that that was done um, artistically. I don't think they wanted you to actually see him. I think they they didn't want you to put a face to the name. I don't think they wanted you to give the dog an identity. Because it is heavy That's subject too much. matter. It's too much. It's, it's way too much. It's too much for a family film. It's too much for a kid. Too much for me. Um, no, but I do like, too, that they make it a point to just put Lady in in holding for a second. And they do say, I'm going to go check your license. Because they see the collar. They are trying to do their due, di- due diligence to return her. Right. So there is a silver lining there. But um, it's such a great scene i mean it's it's depressing as anything but um it's just so well done it tugs on your heartstrings it does get light for a moment when you figure that they're howling and singing because it's it's trying to cover up uh you know their means to escape so you can't hear the digging there's another film uh, and i can't think of it off the top of my head now that does that like years later where they're trying to uh Actually, no, no. You know what it was? It was an I Love Lucy where they're trying to get out of jail and and file bars. Yes. And they're singing to cover it up. So actually, that might have been probably around the same time. Around the same time. Yeah. It might have been slightly before, but yeah, no, that would have been same era. Well, think about it. I mean, these movies, it's not like today where they animate a movie in uh 2017 and it's coming out mid 2019. I mean, right. these movies they're in production for years and years and years. Uh, and then we get the song He's a Tramp. Oh, so good. It's so good. And I love the fact that they're they're taking his name and they're giving it a negative connotation, but it is completely accurate. Well, they're giving it the literal meaning. Yeah. But it's such a good, it's got that like loungy feel to Little it. Vaudeville. 
Yeah, and they got the spotlight on uh, Peg. Yeah, it's it's just such a well done sequence. And you just see Lady's face drop, and she gets so angry. And then she gets taken out of the pound because they ran her license. They bring her home. Yeah, because God forbid Aunt, Aunt Sarah Sarah's comes to get her. Aunt Sarah would have been like, "Could you, could you hold on? Could you lose the? Could you lose the tag?" Yeah. Give me a few more days. What'll it take? How much to burn her license? Mm-hmm. And the moment that she gets Lady back, she leaves her outside in the rain chained up to the doghouse while also leaving the window open to the nursery. In the rain. Aunt Sarah is a worse house sitter than Larry and Richard from Weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) And they dragged a corpse around for Labor Day weekend to cover up a murder. (laughs) They were doing it to keep themselves alive but they covered up a murder by dragging a corpse around. And they put strings on him to make it look like he was moving. And she's still worse. She's still worse. Okay. What is this rat's vendetta that it keeps coming back? Because we see Lady chase it in the beginning when we're just seeing, we're getting to know her as a six-month-old. We're seeing like a day in the life and how she's got her routine and all that kind of stuff. I don't understand why it comes back, why it's breaking and entering. And to me, this was kind of a missed opportunity because we were talking before about how the conflict comes from wrong place at the wrong time. So Lady is obviously trying to protect the baby from this rat. To me, it would have been more effective if we circle back to the racist cats who have only been in one scene through this whole movie and they would have served a bigger purpose if they were the ones trying to get the baby and now Lady and the Tramp have to chase them off. So in other words, you think it would have worked more if they were threatening the child not because they wanted to hurt the child so much as they were trying to set up Lady and Tramp to be caught and they're, they're setting them up for trouble. Right, and then it backfired. Or, you know, at the end of the song, they're going up the stairs, they say, uh, where there's a baby, there's milk. So maybe they're trying to get the milk and that's even even something as simple as that. Lady can't get into the house because she's chained outside, but she kind of sees what's going on that they're... You know, if she sees them through the window and she sends Tramp in to find out what's going on. Because they're antagonists, but they're not villains. And I think that you, there, there's nothing more invasive than some, someone or something breaking into your home. You're not going to have a marauder or, or a kidnapper break into the house. That's a little too much. It's too much. So what's more invasive or, or, or what could be as invasive or as unnerving? A rodent. But it's, I guess it's just odd to me that it goes through the bedroom window. Like I could see if it snuck in through the basement to get out of the rain and then it's traipsing through the house. But this rat keeps like looking back over his shoulder at Lady like there's nothing you can do about this. And then what are you going to do? And why do you keep trying to get to the baby specifically? Well, that's what I'm saying. The rat has a vendetta for no reason. I don't think the rat has a vendetta against the baby. I think the rat just wants to get inside the house. And because Aunt Sarah is a terrible house sitter and an even worse babysitter, 
She left the window open. That's how the rat is supposed to get in. Right. It just happens to be that he ends up in the nursery getting chased by Tramp. I don't think it was the baby so much. I think that the goal was, I'm going to get into your house. I think the baby was just a victim of circumstance at that point. Right. So I, I get what you're saying, but but of all the things that may bother me about this movie, and bother's really not the right word, but if there are things that I sit back and go, ah, well, maybe not that. This is not the thing that I'm sitting back and, and doing that with. Yeah, really. I, I mean, I have... I, I can overlook this. I have more issues with Aunt Sarah and her very existence. But... Again, it's the wrong place at the wrong time, and Tramp gets locked up right as uh, Jim Deere and Darling come back from their trip. We find the rat, and what I love about this scene is that Trusty gets his redemption, because the whole time he's, you can tell he's like slipping into senility. Mm -hmm. He is a senior dog. He keeps telling the same stories over and over again, and he goes, I don't know if I told you this, and Jacques is like, yeah, buddy, you have, and the storyline is that he has also lost his sense of smell, but he's able to use his sense of smell to track the dog catcher down. And yes, he is injured and it looks like he's mortally injured at first. And of course we see that he kind of gets his happy ending and it's just a broken paw. He shows up at Christmas, but I love the fact that he got to show one more time no, I, I got one more left in me. He got to be the hero, yeah. Because there's also, I don't know if you catch it, there's a big sense of urgency because when they come from the pound, they say we've been trying to get this one for a long time. And the implication, Aunt Sarah says, take care of him right away. So the implication is that they're going to put him down immediately. Oh, yeah. But again, she's she's hard. She's a horrible person. We know, we know that. Um, But... I uh, I love the happy ending at Christmas. The puppies are cute. It's totally reminiscent of 101 Dalmatians in that, well, which actually came later. I should say remi- uh, 101 Dalmatians is reminiscent of this in right. the sense of Jim Deere and Darling decide to keep them all. But something occurred to me as I was going over the plot that makes me kind of question a little bit of of the uh, the ending here. Um, so we see the horrible scene. We see the cart on top of Trusty, and uh, you know they have to cut out of it. But they cut straight to Christmas, and Lady and the Tramp already have puppies. And we've seen you know the the film opens on Christmas, so we're a whole year later. We see that the baby's now crawling around. He's about a year old. Um, or maybe maybe more like between six months and a year at this point, because the whole thing does kind of take place over the year. Um, and what I realized is that, you know, they already have their puppies, but Trusty still has his paw in a cast. So if he's still hurt, not that much time has passed. And I was like, so did Jim Deere and Darling decide to keep Tramp and then Lady and the Tramp started their family? Or... Did we give a whole new meaning to the phrase Bella Notte? I think you're reading an awful lot into nothing. I don't think that that was the intent, but I, I'm not questioning 
the storytelling. I'm questioning the timing of everything. And it does seem a little fast for them to already have puppies at Christmas. I mean, I don't know what the gestation period is for a dog, admittedly, but uh, I think you're looking. I think you're looking at an awful lot that doesn't exist here. No, I mean this film is innocent, but it didn't really occur to me until you know it's a straight cut from when he's hurt to when he's in a cast. So it goes, it goes kind of quickly. We're going to agree to disagree on this one, unless maybe it's. Well, no, but it can't be two years later because he's still in a cast. I get I get that you have to establish that. I mean, obviously, we see Trusty, so we know that he was not mortally wounded, as you said. But, you know, you're establishing that he got away with only like a broken leg. By by showing him in the cast, but it's not enough of a time jump. Like, where did these puppies come from already? I, I don't know. Well, then there's only one way they could have got there. Oh, boy. She spent the night out. All right. Let's we talked about animation a little bit. It's beautiful. Everything. First off, the ways that the ways that the dogs emote is phenomenal. I think that anatomically they move great. The behavior that they managed to capture is amazing. Like just from the beginning where uh, I, I think particularly the scene that gets me is when they feed Lady breakfast and she's so happy eating the donut and, and drinking the coffee, which is bad. Don't give your dogs caffeine. Um, but I just think it's so cute because it it's so true. There's nothing that makes them happier is, is to get a piece of your food. And I thought it was an interesting choice that for the most part, you hardly see human faces. Everything is basically shot shot quote-unquote from like the chest down it sort of remind me of the old charlie brown where you never saw the faces of the adults and they go womp 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 but obviously you hear adults speaking here but i i feel like it's almost being shot from the eye level of the dog yeah i kind of wish in a way that you never saw the faces but you're right and that's why you're so by the time um, they you figure out that the couple is pregnant, that's why you're so invested in ladies because you've been on her level the entire time. You're with her. Right. Of course, Aunt Sarah, you see, she's the only adult that you do see regularly. <laughs> Again, Aunt Sarah. I want to talk about the cast for a minute because we know that Disney recycles a lot of their voice talent. There's a ton here. Yeah. Barbara Luddy, she's the voice of Lady. She was also Kanga in yep. a lot of the, most of the Winnie the Pooh shorts. She plays it a little different, though. I feel like as Lady, she's got like a little bit more like huskiness to her voice and a little bit more rasp, but it's, it's so fitting. Mm-hmm. And she was Merriweather in Sleeping Beauty. Oh, wow. That mm-hmm. I didn't realize. Larry Roberts plays Tramp. And he basically retired from acting after this role. (laughs) He did like three films. This was one of them. And then he was done. And he went and he worked in the clothing business. That's kind of surprising because like for voice acting, it's not as grueling as like a 12 hour set day. Right. So you'd wonder why that would turn someone off of acting. Yeah, I don't know. Bill Thompson um, was in this movie as well. Um, he played, um, 
he he was also Mr. Smee in uh, Peter Pan. Yeah, he's the um, the he was, constable, I think, outside the dog park. Well, he he played a couple of of roles. He was Jacques, and he was also Bull, the bulldog. And when he plays Jacques, he doesn't really sound like like Smee, but when he plays Bull, the bull that's where I recognized he him. Really the most. does, yeah. Um, and of course, we mentioned Verna Felton before as well, who I just can't look at the same way. <laughs> Never been able to, and it upsets me. It always no has. two separate people in my mind. She's she's just so evil. But yeah, I I don't think that there is a a character that I hate more in the Disney catalog. And I mean, th- this is the thing: I love my villains. There's not a villain that I hate because they're so much fun. But she. She's like a real life villain. I just can't stand her. Yeah. I'm again intrigued to see what happens in the live action remake. Because it'll be a period piece. So I'm just curious to see like with modern with like a modern touch like is the dog more than just an animal that lives in the house? Is it a member of the family? Is she going to be so laissez-faire with Leave it outside, put a muzzle on it, get away from me. I kind of feel like you sort of have to if you're going to make the movie historically accurate. Right, because you're going to make some drastic changes to the story if you don't go with the mentality of, oh, well, a dog is just a dog. If we modernize it by looking at a dog as a member of the family instead of just the pet... Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to take some liberty on the story along with that. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. But in conclusion, talking about the original Lady and the Tramp. First off, our Walt he enjoyed this far more than Frankenweenie and 101 Dalmatians. He barks at 101 Dalmatians a lot. Yeah, he he was pretty good with this one. Yeah, he he had the head tilt going, but this one didn't get a rise out of him. No, the way that the others did. I um I don't understand why this movie got bad reviews when it did. Um cost I think 4 million to make and definitely didn't get the return on investment in box office numbers over time it has. Over time it's made 187 million dollars. <laughs> Jeez. In the box office. Right. But I mean for 1955 oh, yeah, 4 mil it. was still a lot of money. But they knew when they were making these movies that they would it would take years for them to break even. They were not going to recoup much of the money that they were putting into these things, but they had to do it anyway. And that was still something that was happening up to Little Mermaid. There was an interview with Michael Eisner that I think Diane Sawyer was doing for like um, Good Morning America. It's in the Waking Sleeping Beauty documentary. And he said, we can't make back the amount of money. This is Eisner. We can't make back the amount of money that these films cost to make, but we have to do it. This is what this company does. Right. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, of course. But that was, that was basically his mantra. And, I mean, now, forget it. You know, movie, these movies make so much money now, it's, it's a joke. But, um, yeah, I mean, talk about a return on investment. It took a long time, but... Um, I just don't understand how it's possible that this movie got the reviews that it got. 
I just don't get it. I understand why some people didn't love the look of 101 Dalmatians because it was a very contemporary, modern look at the time. It was hyper-stylized, yeah. colors bled over the lines. Walt hated the look of that film for that reason, but because mm. um, he liked everything to be clean. I just don't get it here. No, because, and I mean, you can't always go with what the critics say, but like the general public didn't embrace it the way that it is now. And like you said, that the spaghetti scene is so iconic. It's it's everywhere. Right. And obviously that comes with time. But just from the music to the animation to the story to the characters to the actors, I, I just I can't fathom why this movie was so underappreciated. I just don't understand. Well, we kind of touched on it before is that this was an original concept. It wasn't an adaptation. It wasn't a Disney fairy tale because animation maybe wasn't held in such high regard, they would go see it because of the fairy tale and it was a story that they already knew being adapted and people might not have been as responsive to, oh, I'm going to go see this cartoon. Maybe. What do you guys have to say? Do you love this movie? Are you sort of take it or leave it with the movie? Have you even ever seen it? I mean, I hope. sorry if you haven't and we spoiled it. Please let us know what you think of the original Lady and the Tramp on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. News of the week. You're, you're sitting there watching it. Disney Plus is out. Disney Plus is out. This is not a surprise. <laughs> and that, and that, that's really it. What, well, there's nothing else to talk about. But we are in the parks at the time of this release when this episode comes out. So we want to know what you are watching. What are you liking? Uh, what are you pulling from the back catalog that you haven't maybe seen before? What do you think of it? Is there anything cool that we're missing that they surprised us with? And we have no idea because we're nowhere near the television. But no story spoilers. Yes. Don't spoil The Mandalorian for me. Please don't spoil the, re- the remake of Lady and the Tramp. Just tell us yay or nay. But I am interested to know what you guys are watching and if there's anything that's really binge-worthy. Again, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Monoreal Radio. Jackie mentioned it before. We are still in Orlando. We're still at Walt Disney World. We're going to be down here for another couple of days. If you guys want to come down to Walt Disney World, Jackie will get you there. Yes, Disney just released uh, some promotions for early 2020, so get in touch with me for a free quote, and I'll see what kind of deals we can get you. I'm with Magical Vacation Planner, and we always want to guarantee the best value for your vacation. So you can reach out directly through our social media, as Sean said, at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L, EZZI at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. We're going to go back and enjoy the rest of our trip. Very merry tonight. We'll have pictures on the social. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.